turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll pick it up in verse 13. <laughs> Dying in faith. <laughs> Dying to get out of the sanctuary. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Eager, okay, yes. <laughs> Let's pick it up in verse 13. These all died in faith, having not received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland and truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have opportunity to return. But now, they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them, prepared a city for them. Amen. You know, we've got to remind ourselves who the writer is writing to here, once again. He's writing to the Hebrew Christians who have now walked with the Lord possibly a, a long time, for maybe several years. And, and the persecution isn't really letting up. I mean, it's actually gotten worse in some ways. And actually more intense. And Rome is starting to get more involved and so they're bailing. They've lost out on their earthly inheritance. And they can't handle the pressure. And so the writer has taken them all the way through and essentially just shown them there's more to be gained in Jesus that could ever be lost from Judaism and the law. He's better than the angels. He's better than Aaron. He's better than the law. He's... Mediator of a better covenant. Moses, none of these guys measure up to Jesus. He's better than any angel. I mean, he's God come to rescue us. But when you read this portion of Scripture, it sort of plugs it in right after the pre-flood people and faithful Abraham and Sarah. These all died in faith. Think about this as we work through this. Abraham didn't own a thing except his burial plot. The rest of it, he, had, he owned nothing. He had sheep and herds and all that. But as far as the physical property, he bought a plot from the sons of Heth to bury his wife. That's it. But he was a man of faith looking for a different country. You know, these people desired something better than what this earth had to offer. And that's what faith teaches us. There's something better than what we see on this horizontal plane. What's your desire for life? I'd almost bet it's changed from the time that you were first into faith till now. Before you were a Christian... And now, as a believer, 
it has to have changed your desire for what you want out of life. I mean, we have we don't know anything when we're a kid, right? We're just we're trying to figure it out. It's really sad when you're old, older, and you're still trying to figure it out. <laughs> and you know, once you have your perspective right, and God becomes the desire. All this other stuff is put in its proper position, proper place. And the thing that he's pointing out here is that if you have that desire and that God is your desire, at the end of life, your faith will not fail you. God will be with you. And it's like David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed backing bread. I will remember you, the Lord says, in your older age. I'm not going to forget you. We lose our ability maybe to handle ourselves, take care of ourselves, provide for ourselves, but God will take care of us. This is, these are the people who, who live with God as their desire. That's what, one, if you look through this list here, this hall of faith, all these people had one thing in common. Well, they had more than one thing in common, but they at least had this in common. Their focus was God. They were always thinking upon the Lord. They were walking with Him, living for Him, trusting Him. And this is, you know, they were focused, as it says there in verse 3, on the promises. What has God said? And that's what we have. That's the question we have to answer all the time. What has God said? And do I believe what he has said? And here's a list of people who did. What was the first guy that he pointed out was Abel. You know, these people all saw the unseen things of God. They could see the unseen God, the invisible God, and they believed in what he had spoke, spoken to them. Abel saw this. He saw that righteousness is not earned. You can never become good enough for God. And a, prefer, a performance-based life is futile and frustrating, at, at least that, and more so. He saw and he understood that righteousness was the gift that only God could give. That was the promise, one of the promises of God. Those people, and those of us who we understand, we can't earn it. We need a substitute. Obviously, the law of sacrifice and the lambs that were offered in the Old Testament were su sufficient to cover, but we've got the real thing now. Jesus, and this is the whole th thesis of the book, the better sacrifice of Christ. And he, Abel saw this. What The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. Somebody's coming to take care of the fall. We know this. We believe you, Lord. So until then, we'll offer the sheep. We'll offer the oxen. We'll go through the ritual, but we know what's behind that. Forgiveness of our sins. You know, fellowship has always been the intention of God, and Enoch figured that out. Enoch walked with God. He was the friend of God. And this is an important aspect. People, how do, you, how, how, how do you view your relationship with God? Do you see him as a friend? Think about how the average non-Christian, if you get into a conversation with them and somebody in the, in the company says something that's a little bit over the edge, you, maybe people step back to indicate they're, they're going to be struck by lightning because God's going to strike them. You've been in that conversation before like, whoa. Shouldn't have said that. 
Is that how we view God? If we say something, he's going to crush us like we crush a bug. He could if he wanted to, but we know that he's gentle, kind to the ignorant. I don't know about you, but I put myself in that category. Of all the things that can be known, how much knowledge do I have? (laughs) Not very much. Not very much at all. It's good to have that perspective that God's intention for us is not that we keep the set of rules to make him happy, but that we have love for him like he has love for us. This is what it's all based upon. Jesus came and spoke on a whole other level. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will what? See God. They'll see God, they'll understand God, and they'll know God. And Enoch was that kind of guy. I think our faith is to be a moment-by-moment experience. And what that's a phrase that Francis Schaeffer, Schaeffer used over the years and years ago. Uh, and it's, it's really easy to think that, okay, yeah, I just need moment-by-moment, okay. But what, is, what does that really mean? I think... It, it has to do a lot with what we think. We never, <laughs> unfortunately for some of us, we wish we had, it's like a key to our vehicle. If we could just turn it off, it'd be great sometimes, right? I just don't want to think anymore. No more, right? It doesn't work that way. We never stop thinking. And Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, understood this, and he understood that that mind... Within our minds is where the war with the unseen realm takes place. There's a constant battle with our thoughts. The thoughts that we don't know where they come from. We don't know how they originate. That tells you how smart we are, how much we really know. Where do your thoughts come from? Mm-hmm. Clueless, <laughs> right? Paul in Second Corinthians 10 says, For though we walk in the flesh and the body... We do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Most of us I would think, think about what our thought patterns are. And there are some thought patterns that we have that we wish we could stop. Why am I continuing to go back to rehearse this? And we all have these little thought pattern ruts that we can get into. And the only thing that can regenerate that is the presence of God, the scripture of truth, and the Holy Spirit renewing our minds. When you think about hell for just one moment, what must the punishment of hell be like. This is part of the suffering and the torment of carrying your guilt upon your soul and your spirit through all eternity and rehearsing the errors and the sins of your life that you committed while you were in the flesh. That will be, no doubt, part of that torment. Think about how even now, and I think this is my own experience, of the damage that I did maybe for a couple of years of my life that were really heinous things, the shame. And every now and then, whew, 
you know, like, where'd that, oh, oh. It's just, it's hard to bear. And the only one, the guilt's gone, but it's still the, you know, you can't unthink it. You can't forget that thought, some of them. Lord, would you just kind of like erase that? (laughs) You know, break out the spiritual eraser and just blot that out of my brain? Well, that will happen eventually. But for now, there's a reoccurrence of that on occasion. But I don't dwell on that. I bring that thought captive, like, no, we are not going there. We're not going to dwell on that. And I think you have to, this is what it's talking about when he says moment by moment. When the thoughts come in, I immediately judge it. What do I judge it against? My own standard? Or what God says? Is it true or is it a lie? Now, if I dwell on negativity, and just, just if you haven't done this little exercise, it's quite interesting. If you pay attention to your health, yourself, you get a negative thought and you begin to, don't, you, don't, you just kind of let it linger there. And then you get another one. And then you get another one. Well, the further I go off course, the less intimate I feel with God. I begin to feel a distance and an alienation because I'm, I'm moving in a direction that is a lie. And to the degree that I let those thoughts dwell in me, and I let them go day after day, and I, I fail to renew my mind and to, to allow the Holy Spirit to regenerate and sort of bring that into captivity where it needs to be arrested and dealt with, I will develop a stronghold. And that is where the enemy is able to get a foothold on that stronghold and you know, as I live after the flesh and begin to control me and begin to plant other thoughts. And he has me in a sense. He doesn't own me. You still belong to God. But this is what he's talking about, being a carnal Christian. This is why if you don't deal with your thought life, you'll not make progress in your spiritual growth. Your maturity will be retarded, spiritually speaking, because you're not dealing with your thought life. We have to bring every thought. This is the moment-by-moment experience that Paul is talking about, and I think we um, should pay attention to. I have to arrest the negativity. Anything that is contrary to love, anything that I know that is unclean. You know, David said, I'll not set anything evil before my eyes. I will not conduct myself with the wicked. Those are things that I know are offensive to God. They are not loving. And so I put up a resistance to that. And I will not tolerate that in my life. That is the, and, and, and here's the rule of thumb. I'm to be rude with myself and gracious to others. I'm not going to judge anybody. Who am I to judge another man's servant? Other, here's the phrase the Lord gave me years ago when it comes to liberties and what people can, you know, some people can sort of get away with and others can't, right? And my little phrase that I've always gone back to is others can, you cannot. You judge yourself. You be harsh with yourself. You be rude with yourself when it comes to walking the line and pulling the thoughts into captivity, and you'll do well. You, you take a passive, oh, we're all under grace. That's not what grace is about at all. Grace is not given. It's given for human weakness, not for the indulgence of the flesh. Well, you know, we're all under grace. We can, we can, we can watch this, or we can go here. We can do that, really. That's not grace. That's not grace at all. That's a misuse and a misunderstanding of grace. 
Grace is for human weaknesses that cries out or brokenness to God, please help me overcome this. Change my life. Transform me. That's the moment-by-moment experience that we're to have. But others, yes, here, this is what we're talking about when we talk about the walk. Enoch walked with God. He was able to walk with God because he knew the things that offended God he wasn't going to do. And he purposed in his heart, I'm not doing that. Daniel purposed in his heart that he wouldn't want defile himself. We have to purpose in our heart if we're going to walk with God. But as far as salvation goes, he uses Noah has the example there. And what was it? He was moved by his faith. He observed the warnings. Hey, look, I've had it with this generation. Wickedness on the earth is beyond remedy. I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to give them 120 years. No, you better get ready because I'm coming. And if ready or not, here I come. And it's that way. If we don't see the second coming of Christ that way, ready or not, I'm coming. Are you rapture ready? Are you ready to be taken from this? If the Lord takes you before the rapture, are you ready? Are you bringing the thoughts captive? Are you enjoying God's salvation? Hey, this is no time to monkey around. We're in war. And the devil's playing for keeps. Noah understood that. He observed the warning. Whoa, whoa. Here's the plans, Noah. Go get after it. Get the boat built. He did. He prepared the ark. You see, that's what true faith is. If I really believe God, I'm doing something with it. It's not some a, a, a gathering of thoughts and knowledge of the Bible. That is Knowledge is not faith. Knowledge of God, knowledge of the scriptures, let's say more particular, is not necessarily faith. It is knowledge of God, the person. Do I know God and do I know his ways, what he loves, what he hates, what he desires of me? That's, and when I, when I believe that, I act. I have actions accordingly. Well, I know the Lord doesn't want me to live after the flesh, and, but I prayed the sinner's prayer. I, I'm good. Hey, I, just lay off. I'm good with God. He knows I'm human. He knows I need, you know, relationships. He doesn't care if I drink now and then or, or light one up, you know. That's not faith. You just self those that kind of stuff, that's just self-deception. You don't really know if you believe that and that that is true of God, then you don't know the God of the Bible. This isn't preaching the law. This is preaching just simply living by what he has said is clean and what's unclean, what would defile, what does not defile. You know, when a God says you know, the list there in Galatians 5, I mean, that is just brutal to the flesh as far as I'm concerned. At least I'm just being honest. I mean, the works of the flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. Idolatry is covetousness, by the way. We want stuff. Sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions. Have you seen any of that lately in our culture? Dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, 
revelries and the like, which I tell you before, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You think the Lord's just messing around? It's okay to live after the flesh? See, faith needs to be redefined in the church today. Now we just march them through the church, in and out, in and out, in and out. I did my God thing for the week. See you next week. Oh, well, just to appease my conscience, I'll drop a little bit in the offering box. This is how we're living in America. I'm, I know, to some degree, very possibly speaking to the empty chairs with you guys. You all love the Lord. It's very evident you wouldn't be here. But just be aware of what's going on in the church. We, the church is in big trouble. We're in big trouble. And, you, and, and, and we're just about to get a spanking. I just feel it in my heart. Like, do you, you think the Lord's just going to let the church continue to live after the flesh and he just kind of, you know, passe blah, just let it roll through? I don't know about you. I had a sort of a rule of thumb, and I don't know that it was completely right. I didn't have a father figure in my life other than my grandfather, but he didn't do a lot of corrections because I wasn't always there. So I didn't really have a father figure, so I didn't really know how to father my children. But the thing I took to heart was, well, how does God father me? How does, how does God deal with me when it comes to my life? Well, I sort of picked this up, and I don't know if it's 100% accurate, but it has worked for me, and it's worked, I hopefully, with my children, at least to some degree. He warns me. I just like get the sense, like, I shouldn't do that. That's a warning. And then second... Silence. Persistent activity in that direction, whack. <laughs> I just, oh, whoa, I knew I shouldn't have done that. Okay? So I tried to transfer that. I didn't do it perfectly, but I tried to transfer that warning and usually probably warn a second time. Because I don't like to the hardest thing to do as a parent is to, is to have to punish your children for direct disobedience. But you have to do it. And God will do it for us and he should do it. And we should be thankful that he does it. It means we're legit. We belong to him. And so this is faith. And how faith is conducted in the lives of those who love the Lord. And Abraham expressed his faith in another way by receiving it as an inheritance that he really didn't get to enjoy, he just moved around in it. He didn't, as I said earlier, he didn't possess anything except his burial plot. But he, well, well how was his, his faith expressed? Well, first of all, he obeyed the call of God. He, he ventured into places that were unknown to him. He even landed in a place called Traveler's Rest. Imagine that. The promised land. That was his traveler's rest. You're in the real traveler's rest, right? How in the world did we get here? <laughs> Aptly named though, right? <laughs> For us. He obeyed God's call. He went out with full knowledge. You don't have to know everything to be a person of faith. That's, isn't that freeing? Isn't that wonderful? You don't have to have every answer to every question about what's going on in your life or your family's life or the church or the Bible. Or, you don't have to have all the answers. You'll get what you need along the way. It's just, and that's kind of, he went out without full knowledge. 
we're here, you're here, you're here, without full knowledge. And that, that's good. He dwelt in the land. That's what we, Actually, that's really what Jesus told us to do, right? Occupy till I come. Till I come for you, you do your job. Stay busy, do your business. Be about your business. Be about your father's work. He dwelt in tents. Paul talks about to the Corinthians that the way we should be living, we should live as not seeking to possess or even acting as though we do possess. So you have things, but they're not really yours, and you know that. There's nothing wrong with possessions. I've got plenty of them. But in reality, they're not really mine. And the Lord will take them from me someday, I'm sure. If not before I die, I'm for sure they're gone at that point. I have to look at this dwelling of tents as everything here is temporary. I'm just, as we'll get to the end here, we're just sojourning. We're just traveling through. We're passing through. We're pilgrims. Alien, aliens in this place. And he waited the whole time he was there in the promised land for the city of God. He had his eyes on the eternal. There's a country, there's a city in heaven, and that's the one I'm looking for because this one here is temporal. No matter how you look at it, it's temporal. Then he talked about Sarah in this first section, up, verses, up to verse 12. She is heir of the promise. These all... Receive the promises through faith. How do I know that they understood? Because Jesus said so. At least he said this about Abraham. Chapter 8. Abraham, your father, was overjoyed to see my day. And he saw it. And of course, the demon-possessed Pharisees couldn't see that at all. You're not even 50 years old. You said you've seen our father Abraham. You've lost your mind. You know? They didn't, they didn't, here they are, the leaders of the nation, and they have no faith. They have no understanding. There are people that live their whole life in the church and have no faith. That is, that is reprehensible. That should never happen. But our faith grows as we obey what we've been shown to do. These people believed, think about the promises that Abraham believed. He believed in the promised land. He believed in the promised seed. He believed in the coming Messiah that would come through his line. He, he, he understood, whoa, he saw my day. That's what Jesus is talking about. My day, Messiah's day. He saw he, the promised country, the promised cities we mentioned here. His inheritance really wasn't physical as much as eternal. He saw them both, even though he never got to experience, really, his earthly inheritance. He saw a promise of salvation and a promise of the Holy Spirit. He had the Spirit of God around him. How, having mentioned these promises and these faith, what were the steps? You know, it's right here. What are the steps of faith? If this, is, this is the big deal, right? This is the big deal for you and me. We are men and women of faith. We trust God explicitly. What he says, we believe. We may not grasp the full intent of what he's saying, but we believe he's got it and he's got us. First of all, it is seeing. Having seen them afar off, they saw it with their inner man and their heart. Wow, wow. How's God going to do that? Well, 
I don't know, but he's going to do it. He said he would. It means to perceive with the eye, to grasp with your senses. Secondly, it says there in verse 13, they were assured of them. The idea there is persuaded. They were induced, as it were, to believe those words that were spoken by God to them. Number three, they embraced them. You see it, you are assured of it, you're persuaded of it, and then you embrace it. You see the progression here. To engage it as though you wanted it. It's a, it's a hospitable thing. I want this for myself. That's, that's the word here. Seeing him, seeing them, being persuaded of them, embracing them, and then receiving them. To take it by the hand. I got this. I got this, Lord. It's mine. You know, I say that when I, people, we, we quote Chuck. I remember this years ago, Greg Laurie got up and spoke. This is like in the 80s. When everybody was young and fresh and vibrant. Yes, so excited for the Lord. Not that they aren't now, but back then it was it seemed to be on another level. And he, he used one of Chuck's illustrations. And, you know, he was just smiling ear to ear, and he sat down, and then he just he got to thinking about, apparently, and he, this was a conversation that uh, was revealed later. He looked over at Chuck, and he said, man, I'm sorry I just ripped you off. And Chuck, the gracious man that he was, if, if, it's, if it spoke to you, it's yours and that's the way it is. There's nothing new under the sun. Do I share anything new? No. We take bits and pieces and fragments from everybody around and we make it our own. It's receiving. Receiving the truth. And if it ministers grace to you, it's yours. Take it. Enjoy it. We're just passing these things on. We're gonna, you're going to pass them on to your kids. It's just the way it is. You take it by the hand. You lay hold of it. And then the last one is confessing. He says this, and that is agreeing. It is saying the same thing, admitting it, acknowledging it as a public fact. In other words, when you confess it, you, you can pronounce it, you can proclaim it, and you don't really care what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what they think because it's inside and it's real. I remember when I first got saved and it was real. It's still real. And I witnessed a couple of my own. The first time one of my buddies saw me after my conversion, he's like, he had to step back like, man, you still look the same, but there's something different about you. And another one of the other guys says, wow, I'm kind of glad you got your stuff together now, man. <laughs> like, there's something different. And yeah, see, that's what happens. When, you really, when God gets a hold of you and, and you have... You've, this is the process. You see it, you're persuaded of it, you embrace it, you receive it, and you confess it. You're a transformed soul. That's the way it works. And you understand now how important it is to, to deal with the moment-by-moment -moment thing because you'll never get through these unless you are arresting your thoughts that are contrary to faith, that are things, if, you, if you're constantly dealing with sin in your life, you'll never get beyond that. You've got to bring it to the cross. How, how is that? How does, okay, so I'm there. 
I'm at this junction again, and it, something needs to be said here so that you can get a grip on how to deal with that. And how do we deal with sin? It's by faith. You see your sin nailed to the cross with Christ. And by faith, I am dead to that. And, of course, Paul talks about it in Romans 8. Who through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body. And so Abraham got, you know, it's the same principle of Abraham trying to get his mind around the thought that he was going to father a child in his old age. Like, wait, how can this be? Who, what's it say in Romans 4? Who against hope, believed in hope. That's the way you have to look at your failures and your shortcomings and your, your lack of being transformed or where you think you should be at and you're not there. The stuff you're frustrated with and you just can't get beyond these patterns that set you back. Who by faith see it nailed to the cross. Who against hope believe in hope. That's how you overcome. There is no other way. It isn't, you can get all the counseling you want. You can read all the books you want. You can pray prayers. But until you make this confession and you bring it to the cross, it's going to stay there. And it'll be a stronghold. But God knows how to break down the strongholds. And this whole thing about strangers, I love this part about Abraham and Sarah, strangers and pilgrims. They're temporary residents. Do you see yourself as a temporary resident here? That helps. It helps you let go of a lot of stuff. One of the things that I've had to, to I've talked to a number of people over the years on their deathbed. And I've, you know, and of course you've heard this from others, but it's true. No one's ever said, and I probably will never say, gosh, you know, I wish I would have worked more. I wish I would have spent more time on the job. Gosh, I missed out on that. I should have got more done. They don't say that, do they? It's always, gosh, I wish I would have spent more time with who? My family. My kids. And the other thing was, gosh, I wish I would have dropped the petty issues, the grudges. Guys, in particular, guys are really good at carrying grudges. At least my personality type is. You, you offend me. You know, I'll, I'll give you the look inside, if not outward, right? Oh, okay. You just learned it. After a while, you learned it. That's the stupid. Let it go. You don't want to carry that. Have you, have you messed up before and offended people? Yeah, well, yeah, well, it happens. Let it go. And, and that's what we have to do. But if you don't do that and you're on your deathbed, you regret it. We don't want to go there. We're just temporary residents. You know what they call them in Uganda? Masunga. You're a Masunga. <laughs> you don't belong here. You, and usually the, they were, okay, when we go to Uganda and Africa and you're this color, you don't belong there. <laughs> they, that's what they call you, a mazunga. He doesn't belong here. You don't belong here. This is not your home. Just remember that. Verse 14 talks about their declaration. And this is the idea of declaring plainly. There's no him hawing around. Well, you know, I sort of believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but, you know, I'm not really sure about really do you believe what's been given in the scriptures? Well, we just keep reading, keep reading, keep praying, keep seeking. It's just a matter of time. You'll be 
convinced and you'll be able to declare plainly that Jesus is the Son of God, declared to be the Son of God with power through the resurrection of the dead. You know anybody, other saviors that proclaimed saviors that rose from the dead? The rest of these guys, Confucius, go ahead and list them. They're, if their bones still exist, but most likely they're all turned to dust. They've perished. Our God, our Savior rose from the dead. These people declared plainly. And they announced clearly. There's no, I just think there's something about as believers, when you have gone through this process of it being written on your heart, you have no problem sharing your faith. It's just as natural as breathing. It's going to come out. doesn't mean we just are overt always right out wherever we go, but it's not a, I'm not ashamed. I had something happen to me when I was up north at the reunion. I didn't plan this. <laughs> it's a little embarrassing for me to share this, but I'm going to share it. So one of my classmates, one of the ladies, her husband's a pastor, and um, and she helps kind of organize the class reunion and, and things. And, uh, well, they, she, something came up at the last minute and they couldn't make it. And so um, they asked me to pray for the, for the meal. And so I said, okay. So I, I asked one of my big buddies. He's a real big, big guy. Big, he's a solid believer. Hey, Rod, you want to get everybody to quiet down? Because everybody's, you know, going for it. And uh, so he gets everybody to quiet down. At least most people did. And so... I prayed, but the thing I did was I put my hands up. I got, I'm thinking, I, I don't, my hands just went up. I'm like, that's a little Pentecostal, Lord. What are we doing? <laughs> Quick thought, I prayed, but I just raised my hands. And I, I didn't plan that, and I thought about it when I started to do it. I'm like, oh, well, Lord, you know, bless this food, you know. <laughs> You have no problem declaring. The Holy Spirit gives you boldness. I think there's something important about our faith that we really do need to be candid, not rude. That's not, you know, we need to be loving, but we can be candid and, and declare plainly because that's what the word uh, is saying here. That we're seeking a homeland. This is not our home. We can plainly say, hey, I'm not afraid to die. Are you afraid to die as a Christian? No. The sting of death. It's probably going to sting a little bit. Probably going to hurt for a moment. I'm hoping, uh, you know, like when they say you go into shock, you don't like, you know, maybe it's one of those moments. Hopefully. It won't hurt too much. But you know what? It's but for a moment, all right? What's it going to be like on the other side? Don't you ever, don't you think, spend time thinking about heaven? What's it going to be like? You know, it's kind of like, the little guy in the womb over there, you know. What's it like out there? I hear all these people talking, all these noises, my mom's voice, my dad's voice. Like, of course, he's not thinking that right now, but whatever. You know, you, you, we, this is like the womb, and we're going to be birthed into another reality that's so far greater that we're like, we're trying to figure it out. What's it going to be like? Well, we know it's got a country. We know there's a city there, so you got city life, you got country life. We know there's trees. We know there's fruit on the trees. We know there's a river of life. We know there's streets. We know there's music. We know there's time. Lots of people. There's angels there. And you start going through this list, and you start trying to create this, you know, you know, the closest thing you can kind of get to is, could you imagine this world 
without the curse. That you have a city life, you have a country life. You have things you can do in the country. You've got fine arts in the city. You got you know, well that is that a reflection of the way it's going to be in heaven? Possibly, but it's beyond comprehension. Just like it's beyond comprehension for the little people in the womb when they come out like, whoa, you know, it's all this light. Whoa. <laughs> That's probably what it's going to be like for us. So walking by faith, trusting God, and this is what it's all about, learning to trust God in this journey from earth to heaven. Learning to walk by faith. I think it's important as a regenerated believer to have thoughts of heaven daily. Think of where we're going. And as, what's the name of the guy that wrote the book on heaven? James. Randy Alcorn, yeah. You know, we, I love that illustration. You know, we spend, we'll spend days planning our vacation while we're going to go. It's going to take this long to get there. It's going to cost this much. We're going to go here, here, and here. And probably do some other stuff. And then but let's go check out what's really available there. We'll spend a lot of time doing that, but we don't think about where we're going to spend most of our eternal life is there. Don't you think we ought to kind of get familiar? And then if you, what's even worse is you have passion. Well, the Bible really didn't talk about, a lot about heaven. You might want to reread your Bible again because it talks a lot about heaven and what's there and what's not there. And I think you do I think the more heavenly-minded we are, the more earthly good we're going to be. That's just my opinion. These guys were so con- focused on that, they had no thoughts of returning to the world. Do you think Abraham, hey, you know, I don't know, I think I'm done with this gig with God. I think I'm going back to Ur of Chaldees. Let's just go home, Sarah. No. Never entered his mind. The reason he went back there is to get a, you know, he sent his servant back to get a wife for his son. He wouldn't even send his son back there because he knew what was back there. You think the ones who really loved God that came out of Egypt, let's say Joshua and Caleb, you think they wanted to go back to Egypt? I don't want to go back to the way I used to live. There's no attraction there. There's nothing there. There's nothing there for you and for me. We desire a better city, a better country. We're and literally, literally, desire means to strive. It's an, it's, a, it's an active word. We want to reach out for it. What's your desire in life? Where do you, where you want to be? Where do you want to go? What's most important to you? I want to be where God is. I want to be prepared for meeting Him the first time, face to face. What's really blessedness is this is this is how you want we want to end this. How does God see all this conversation that we've had tonight? He's not ashamed of you, of me. They love me. I love them. I've got to prepare them for heaven. I can't wait till they get here. It's gonna be wonderful. Gonna be a wonderful exchange. And to think the only thing we have, we have to overcome, are, there's two things we have to overcome. We have to overcome ourselves, the flesh. And we've got to overcome the enemy. And we've been given great provision in the word to do that. Father, we thank you for your word. 
And we thank you for these great, Lord, these great and precious promises, Lord. They are just marvelous. Burn them into our spirit, our souls. Fill our, our lives, our spirits with zeal for you and passion for you, Lord. You're coming soon. We want to be a, a bride without spot, without wrinkle, Lord. Paul desired to present the churches as a pure virgin to you, the husband of the bride. Oh God, purify our hearts. Help us to bring our flesh to the cross, to nail our sins by faith there and die to them. Give us your spirit, Lord. The flesh profits nothing. We cast all our cares upon you now, Lord. We trust you. Do your special work in us, Lord. Continue to be patient and long-suffering with us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.